Bem-vindos ao podcast What Drives You. Aqui exploramos histórias, estratégias e ferramentas das pessoas que têm bem claro o que é que as Por isso, se queres ser uma delas, mantenho por aí, porque a jornada vai começar. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the What Drives You podcast, another one in English and I just wanted to start by saying thank you to everyone who's been sending messages saying that my English ain't that bad. Uh, I know it's not perfect, I'm working on it in public uh, and without further ado let me introduce you to, the, to today's guest which is Becky. Now Becky is this amazing human being that works in two different areas, sustainability and plants, okay? And I heard Uh, I, I come in contact with Becky from our common friends in Hesvesh Cowork, which you guys know, uh, and Becky worked with them in order to put some plants in their space to create a better environment. And I thought that was such a different and amazing idea that I had to know who was the person behind it. So I sent a text to, to, to Becky. She said, of course, let's do it. And, um, and so we did this interview and we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about the journey that Becky had to um, travel in order to get to where she is today about um, a lot of different choices that she did in her um, in her career. How did meditation helped? How did he she end up working in sustainability um, and the process of mining through to a great company which many of you guys may know called Tiffany's. Uh, but also how is Portugal treating her and now uh, and a lot about her new business plant based business called Green Elbows. So I hope you guys. Like Like this interview I really did I think Becky is this amazing human being you guys should definitely follow her uh, and her social which we left the, um, the links in the description and that's it basically so thank you so much to everyone thank you so much to Becky and here's my interview with her and her project Green Elbows Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the What Drives You podcast and today with me I have Rebecca Burton. Rebecca, thank you so much for doing this once again and I just wanted to start with the, with a question uh, and that is how is Portugal, especially Iriceira, treating you? Oh, so well, Joel, sometimes when I get on calls with people from around the world, they're calling in from places where it's snowing like crazy or uh, even if it's not snowing, there's ice around in the mornings and they ask me, how is it over there? And it sort of depends on the audience in terms of how much I'll gush about Portugal. <laughs> if I feel that I need to protect their feelings, yeah. I say, oh, you know, we have a mix of rain and sun, but yeah. if it's people be really honest with i just say wow it's honestly paradise it's beautiful Amazing. here yeah and i'm you say to me is one of the best places in portugal oh. it's really really beautiful um so i have a lot of questions all right uh and because you you uh, before i i this interview i already made a small bio about yourself uh but i really wanted to to start by asking you something you have uh You have two jobs you were talking before we, we started this, and one of them is Green Elbows, and another one is a project in mining. So if, most of all my questions are about Green Elbows, but I would really love to start by hearing about this project uh, of mining. So please ex explain to me and to the audience what, uh, what you do in that area. I will. If it's okay, I'm going to take you on a little journey yeah, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> over the past course. two decades of um, my professional development, basically, and, and how I got to where I am today, because I think it's really important when I'm speaking with younger people and they tell me, I don't know what I want to do in life. I am still trying to figure it out. I don't know what major I should have. And there's so much pressure I feel or that I'm sensing from them that they need to make the decision now. And the biggest advice I would give them and the biggest advice I would give myself at that age is you have 60 years or whatever it is, 60, 70 years, depending on, you know, after you're 20 to figure out what you want to do and to let that change constantly. And honestly, the world is in a place where you can do that and where it allows for exploration and curiosity and change, a lot of change. And so I would just say, 
don't worry if your career track changes all, you know, many, many times. Do what you love now, explore that and work as hard as, you know, work in it as much as you want now. And then as new things come up and, uh, and, and develop in you, follow that and see where it goes. So I'll just tell you, what does that actually mean um, for the past two decades? So I actually started out in landscape architecture, which is fascinating to look back on because that's what I'm doing in Green Elbows now. That's an aspect of what I'm doing is designing yeah. green spaces. Well, a year and a half into my program in landscape architecture, I had the opportunity to travel to Kenya and work with some communities there and just fell in love with international travel and uh, development and um, all things related to that. And so when I came back, I decided, let me actually move to international studies and I moved away from landscape architecture. So the international studies took me to my first real job, which was working in a study abroad office at a university and helping other students find opportunities to travel. And I did that for a year and I also welcomed a lot of international students to our university. And then after a year in that work, I thought, you know, I really want to explore this idea of development and actually potentially living abroad and working, let's say, for a nonprofit organization. So I went to Kenya for several months and met with so many organizations and whether they were working with um, children or working with populations that were disabled or women's groups or whatever it might be. And I just saw the incredible work that was happening on the ground. And for me personally, I felt that those who were working on the ground and had the experience there were better placed to provide the direct services. Yeah. And so that was a really, really big shift for me, actually. And so that's why I'm spending a little bit of time on yeah, this. Yeah. But it was a really big shift for me to think, rather than me coming in and providing the direct services, I actually would like to go back. Um, I'm from the United States, so go back and work for an organization where I can connect um, those with funding or those with expertise to provide support to those who are working on the ground and have knowledge of the context um, you know who are locals so I came back and it took a while for me to get there there were a couple of years where I was working for some nonprofits in Salt Lake um, in film and uh, in still sort of development and service and then I got to sort of the I'll say the clearest part I guess of my journey which is um, in 2009 I decided to go to graduate school in economic and political development and Basically what, you know, other students, just to give you a sense of what we actually do, uh, other students in my program work for the United Nations or work for big NGOs that you might have heard, heard of. They work for the World Bank. Uh, that, that's sort of what the degree prepares people for. So I went to Columbia University and studied there. And that was a really important point for me because within those first few weeks, I basically learned about this program called Net Impact. And the idea was helping P, um, students in development figure out how to apply business-like principles to make development um, sort of stronger or, or work more efficiently. And then it also helps business students um, think about more than just the, the financial bottom line, but to think yeah. about people and, and the planet. The social part. And right? it was, say it again. The, the social part as well, right? Exactly, the social and environmental part, exactly right. And I was just so drawn to this, and that's really what brings me to the mining work that you referenced today, because I started to get involved with net impact, and then in my studies, I started to really focus in on corporate social responsibility and sustainability. They're sort of often spoken of in, you know, being similar or being almost, um, yeah, they're used often for the same to describe the same thing, which is basically how do you ensure that a business is operating responsibly and by doing so, adding to the communities from which it sources or um, the employees that it, that it has working there or, how, you know, often there are companies by the way that they source or the way that they treat their employees are also impacting um, the earth and, and, and the environment. So... Can, I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt you, Rebecca, but can you give me an, an example uh, of, of precisely that that you just said? A company, I, I mean, because I'm trying to um, figure out 
because I, I I've actually talked a, a little bit of, with persons that with people here in Portugal that have some kind of that job helping corporates and to make sure that they're uh, doing it in a and in they're working in a sustainable way. But I I'm I'm having a, a hard time figure figuring out an example of what you just said. A, a company that by the way they treat their employee employee employees are also um, having an impact on earth. Can you just help me to understand? Like, can you give me yeah, an example? Absolutely. That's a really good one to unpack. Let me see if I can sort of phrase it in a different way. So one thing that I think is really um, fascinating is when companies commit to paying a living wage, fascinating, okay. but really important. <laughs> yeah. and the idea, the idea being um, that when a company decides, so in, in a lot of countries, you have a, a minimum wage, right? Yeah. And in other countries, that minimum wage is not maybe not necessarily set or not necessarily honored. And so a company can go in and they can actually decide to pay a living wage, which often goes beyond what would be the minimum, the wage. minimum yeah. wage as well. And there's actually a whole methodology and a whole way that you go about actually figuring out what the minimum wage is. You figure out what housing costs, food costs, school costs, and that type of thing so that you're really um, paying people a wage that allows them to live so uh, securely, comfortably. And yeah, it's a really, really important aspect, I think, actually. Yeah. And so um, you're right. I, when I said treating people well and sort of how that translates to the environment, I think I... Um, sort of tripped up on my words it was more both social and yeah, environment so, okay but, okay yeah, exactly so i sorry would, so no no not at all your your clarification is perfect actually because <laughs> i'm realizing back on my words that that needs to be clarified but so living wage for example is a really good example is um one way that a company can i would say exceed sort of the norm yeah. in terms of corporate responsibility because mm -hmm. if you think about um like clothing right and and we've heard about issues in the clothing supply chains yeah where there have been fires um in in factories for the example factories, yeah. um, and those tragedies and and so if you think about when a company is really looking at where are where are clothes made how are those workers treated are we paying them a living wage um those that has a really big impact in in terms of society right yeah. so that's when I think about corporate social responsibility, that's one aspect of many. Yeah. And I'll go into that a little bit more in terms of the mining work mm -hmm. um, as I describe what, I, what we're actually doing in the mining work. Yeah. So um, just to sort of rewind back <clears throat> in terms of my own journey and the reason that I'm focusing here is again, just to help unpack how I came to where I am because I think it's really important to talk about the process, right? Like yeah. not just this is what I did in my resume, but to talk about how I decided to make the particular steps in my resume. So um, 10 years ago, so we're, to, so I'm thinking like the first 10 years I've sort of already described. Mm -hmm. And I would say those were sort of more of a patchwork. It was more exploration. Yeah. You know, I went from landscape architecture to working in film. Um, I taught English for a while there was a lot of sampling going on, which yeah. I think is really good because you really decide what you actually love. And that's really what was happening in my 20s. And then this last decade is where I really honed in. And Can I just ask one, one question about those, those, those first 10 years, which is because yes. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I, I'm, I'm walking in your shoes and, and I, I'm curious about how did you react to that constant change? Because I see a lot of people that, when they realize that they don't like the it's not that they don't like but they they find another area which interests them but they don't pursue it because they're afraid of change so how how did you think about that how did you make uh, what did you say towards to yourself or how did you what was your process to feeling so comfortable in changing from this area to this area to this area is that something you can describe or was it just natural? That is such a good question. I think it's a mix of both, both natural, um, just because I've always been a person that likes to sort of sample, if that makes okay. sense. I'm thinking about what, even before my professional career and as a child, I did everything from theater to horseback riding to, okay. I don't know, uh, all kinds of things. So 
it's I've sort of been a natural sampler, I guess, right. if that if you want to say it that way. But this is a good question because especially sort of the pressure early on yeah. to decide what you're going to do. I definitely understand that. And let's see, a couple of thoughts about that. The first one is answering your question, but kind of coming at it from a different angle, which is the way that I got most of my jobs was actually through internships. So sort of exploring something in a way where you're not committing to it full time yeah. and, you're, sort, and you're providing. Yeah. And, and I really do emphasize this because it, it really is the way that I've gotten all of my jobs and taken me to where I am today. So the study abroad job, for example, when I was a student, I got an internship. It was 10 hours a week in the international center, welcoming international students and helping them navigate the system and find housing and, and navigate the cultural shift. And, and I loved that work so much. And then because I had worked for a year in the international center and met everyone in that space, I was then able to transition to have a full-time job, sort of doing uh, the opposite, which was working in the study abroad office and helping, you know, my colleagues from the U.S. go and study abroad. And so, and I don't think I would have had that. It basically started as, I'll just rewind again, which is I volunteered a couple of weekends to help at the new student orientations. Mm -hmm. Then that transitioned into an internship, which transitioned into the first full-time job. Right. And so I think that's really important in terms of the, those early years, exploring yeah. what you love to do mm -hmm. through internships is mm -hmm. an excellent way. And then when you're there and if you like it and you sort of prove yourself, right, you show up and you do excellent work, yeah. that can often lead to more work. Yeah. And, and then in terms of the change, um, for me, I actually, when I look back on those years, I often held two or three jobs at a time. And so I was able to explore and be very, very fluid because let's say that one was not really interesting me as much. I was able to let that go because I had these other jobs. And so nice. it was, that's why I really describe it as a patchwork because yeah, yeah, yeah. there was so many um, interests going on. And I was basically making a living by doing such a variety of things often yeah. at the same time. All right. And so that's what I would just say is yeah. figure, and even one of them was working at a restaurant. Right. It was sort of like that was the backbone, which actually right. I loved. I loved working at a restaurant, but that was the backbone. And then I was able to explore um, things that were more closely aligned with where I wanted to go professionally. Right. Or right. career wise. OK, perfect. So let's jump into this next 10 years. Go ahead. The next decade where it was more refined. So that decade started out with me being in Tanzania at um, I was doing basically the internship that's required between the two years of graduate school. And during that internship, I was studying medicinal plants in Tanzania. We were doing interviews with um, elders there and different people there. How did they use medicinal plants? Were, were those plants disappearing from the landscape? And it was really wonderful to just talk with the locals about this particular aspect. So you can start to see the green coming, yeah. coming back in and sort of that draw that I initially had way back. It's a landscape architecture, gosh, back in 99 is starting to come again in 2010. And so when I was there in Tanzania, I had a lot of time actually to just reflect and quite honestly meditate. I, I took up a meditation practice. And with that clarity of that you know, every day I would meditate for 20 or 30 minutes and it just started to allow my mind to settle. And there was, there became this point of clarity where I said, when I go back, I have one more year of graduate school. And then in terms of work, I know that I want my profession to involve three things. I want to work for a multinational. I knew I wanted to work on the corporate side and that I knew it, I wanted to have big impact um, or that they had the power to have impact. I knew that I wanted to work with some touch point on the environment, protection of the environment, that type of thing. And given that I was in Tanzania and I traveled to Kenya, I really wanted to um, have some touch points in Africa as well. So those were three things that I was holding in my mind. And then when I went back to graduate school, there was basically a service through, the, through Columbia where you could set up 
sort of a job search where you said, this is what I want, basically send me jobs that match these requirements. And so um, about a month after my return, an uh, opportunity came to work at the Tiffany and Company Foundation. Um, so Tiffany and Company is the jeweler and they have a foundation um, that, focuses, that focused at that time on urban parks, responsible mining and coral conservation. And then Tiffany, of course, um, sources metals and diamonds for their for their work right and so when you think about where those products come from they come come around come around come around the world around the world and, and of course mining has this strong link to the environment yeah right and then a multinational so the the reason that I that I share this story and that I'm pausing here is that when I looked at my around at my fellow students and I talked to others who were doing the job search I was I realized that some of their views were were a bit too large and that they that it was actually undermining their success for finding work that they really wanted to do meaning some of them would say I really want to work on women's issues but what exactly yeah that that's really broad. Of girls, hmm. protection of of women in you know domestic situations are you working with elderly women like how do you actually refine that a bit more so that when an opportunity comes to you, you say, yes, yes, that's it. What I yeah. want to do. Yeah. So you keep it broad enough that um, you're sort of open to possibility, but refined enough so that you recognize when it comes in. Yes, this meets what I want to do. So this particular opportunity aligned with those three things that I that I outlined. And basically, I stayed with the company and worked with them up until 2018. So that was an eight year. Uh, it was a refining in that way brought me to this place where I worked for them for eight years. Yeah. And I finally ended up leaving the company, not because I didn't love the work. I actually loved the work. The company does amazing work in terms of corporate responsibility, uh, supporting conservation initiatives, for example. They're actually a leader in paying living wage. Um, they really helped set the, the, the methodology for that. And I really, really loved the work that I was doing there. The reason that I left is that I actually just wanted to leave New York. <laughs> so yeah. I had been there for about a decade. I wanted a different pace of life. That's really all that it came down to. So left on beautiful terms um, with the team. We're still very much in touch. And uh, left in 2018 and started to do consulting, and that type of thing. But basically, uh, earlier this year, and this is what brings me to the mining work. So thank you for the patience thus far. It's um, amazing. <laughs> um, so through Tiffany, I actually was introduced to something called the Initiative for Responsible Mining Assurance. So we call it IRMA, which in Portuguese, of course, has a different meaning, um, but a nice one. And um, the idea of IRMA is that we certify mines against a definition of what it means to mine responsibly. And let me just unpack this for you a little bit. So basically in 2006, Irma gathered around the table um, groups of stakeholders who are, have an interest in mining. So mining companies, uh, purchasers, so people like Tiffany um, and others who purchase mine materials, nonprofit groups, communities that are living in areas where the mine is and labor so the people who actually the organizations the represent mm -hmm. the workers so these five groups came together and over the course of a decade decided when you're thinking about mining what are all of the aspects that you actually need to think of in terms of how to mine responsibly so uh, fair labor protection of biodiversity these types of things right and they basically came up with 26 chapters 26 topics and then came up with the specific requirements to say this is what it means to mine responsibly so um so what happens then is a mine is a mine can apply for to be audited against this standard and so mm -hmm. an auditor will come in and say okay these are all of the requirements how mm -hmm. do you perform against these requirements and through the report from that audit, um, other stakeholders, purchasers, communities, labor can look at that report and they can assess, okay, what are the practices actually happening at the mine site? Are there mm -hmm. improvements that need to be made vis-a-vis -vis water management or waste management or whatever it might be? And so it's really about um, understanding what's happening at the mine site and then opening that up in a transparent way 
for a conversation to happen um, for again communities who live close to the mine to ask for changes mm -hmm. or purchasers who are, are buying from that mine to ask for changes so that is the the second side to my work yeah. um, is working on that. So you can see basically how it was refined over that decade. And now I'm at a place, I mean, I love, love, love this work. Not that I didn't love all the jobs before, yeah. but it's, I think it's just um, like there's some patience that goes in to a professional career, I would say. And if you early on aren't over the moon about what you're working on, explore something else that you love and that you're interested in like i taught english for four years it was really good the students were fantastic but there were aspects of teaching such as preparing lessons that i didn't love yeah and so and now i'm i'm doing such different work than that and it's yeah. okay okay that it's taken that evolution what i i, I need to ask you uh, because that's one uh, question that i always like to ask to people that do different jobs and work in different areas which is and, and, and I'm talking specifically about uh, your work with Tiffany and with Irma. And what are one, two, three key lessons that you learn while doing this uh, work that you feel that you can apply to another area in your life? You know, it, 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 I mean, if there's any, I, I'll give you an example just to clarify. Uh, before I, I started with both of my, of my companies, um, my passion was music, so I was studying jazz, uh, and I wanted to be a jazz guitarist. And for years and years and years, I've crafted the art of improvisation. And that that specific skill is one thing that, even though I had a wrist injury and I had to stop, when I switched to the entrepreneurial side, the, my ability to improvise in under um, certain circumstances was one of the key lessons that I took from music and applied in. A, all different areas so i'm wondering if there's some equivalent to this in to mining in other areas of your life absolutely yes i would say being able to look through the lenses of other or of other stakeholders so i worked in the we call it the purchasing sector right in sort of the corporate sector and but before that i had worked for several nonprofits, and so when i come to this I can actually look through the lenses of both the corporate sector and what did what is most important to them what did they need to actually do their job well and then to look at the nonprofit sector as well what what do they need to do their job well yeah. right and to and to serve those that they're seeking to serve and so I would say um, actually the range of different work that I had over the course of those 20 years allows me to put on different glasses and yeah. see the same situation through many Perfect. different lenses. So that's one uh, really big one that I would say. Um, the next I would say is maybe just prioritization, to be honest. I think in a lot of my work, it, you think of all the different things that you could do and all of the different ways that you can have impact um and i and so i think oh gosh i'm kind of hesitating on this one like how do i actually um sort of uh, describe it more fully for you but i would just say really knowing how to pick what is the most important thing to work on in any yeah. given day has been honed over time yeah. and maybe that's not necessarily uh work but just age <laughs> like yeah. maybe it's not necessarily the specific jobs but yeah. it's more just I mean, you just that, realize that's great but that that's great yeah. as well so rebecca let's yeah. move to um green elbows if that's okay for yes. you and of i course. noticed uh I, I checked of course your website and you have there uh one or two paragraphs explaining the name green elbows but i would love for you to explain to everyone what is green elbows and why that specific name absolutely so green elbows the idea of elbows came to me about a year ago when I was thinking, do we really need to have a green thumb? Like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. So in English, green thumb means, of course, that you have an ease with plants, that you can easily grow plants, that everything that you touch, that you touch lives and thrives. Okay, so yeah. that's kind of the, the thing about it. And basically, as I started, so along all of this line of work that I'm talking about, my professional life, um, in New York, when I was there, I started to be interested in plants again. 
basically. And I started out uh, just growing succulents, to be honest. So there's a process where you can grow a little succulent from a leaf and someone taught me how to do it. And I was so enchanted by it that then I started to buy other plants and I started a little garden on my patio. And as I shared this newfound love with people, this newfound love that I had with plants, so many people would say, oh, I have a brown thumb, everything that I touch dies, even cactuses that are supposed to live through everything die. And I was so sad because one, because I just felt like they weren't giving themselves a chance, yeah. right? So I felt like if they didn't feel like if they were perfect, then they would just not engage with caring for plants at all. Yeah. And that made me really sad. So the idea was, no need to have a green thumb, just come with whatever part of you, just come as you are, come imperfect and clumsy and whatever it is, and let's work with that. So the idea is that the elbow is, there's not a lot of pressure on it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's that meaning it, nobody looks at their, you know, looks for a mate of like, the, you know, they want beautiful eyes yeah, or a yeah. nice smile. Yeah, no one wants a beautiful elbow. Exactly. They're not hoping for a dreamy elbow, so there's not a lot of pressure. Also, sometimes it's clumsy, you know, you can hit it and hit your funny bone. Or um, in English, we have an expression like she or he is all elbows, like she's all elbows, meaning that she's kind of bumping around yeah. and not really coordinated. Um, so that's really where it came from. Just come uh, as a human and let's interact with plants because deep within you, there is a connection to nature and there is a connection to green and caring for plants yeah and i i just want to go straight there because i'm going to be totally honest with you when i when i saw your page and i knew that i had to intervene because i, I saw uh, as we were talking about treasures you work with them and uh, and i saw your page you know your instagram page and i went there and i just remembered and this is personal but i just remembered my grandma when i was a, a, a little small kid he she yeah. really loved plants and and i didn't understand why you know i, I was just playing <laughs> stalker or whatever and the ball would it would eat a plant and she would be like no watch out watch out watch out and for some reason when i watch your page that memory came back to me and i was like and and, and i i would i haven't thought about plants in a long time okay but then i saw <laughs> it that memory came to me and i realized precisely what you're saying is i feel that we have some kind of um, and even though we don't grow it, but I feel that we have some kind of connection with nature and with uh, and with plants because there's a lot of people that I know and admire, and one of the common threats between them is traits is that they garden, and I, I never realized that oh. until seeing your page and, real, uh, and realizing yeah there there's something really special about it and and. I don't have a question about this, but I would love to hear your thoughts about that connection with the green and with plants and everything else. That's beautiful. I'm getting chills as you're speaking, to be honest, because, um, gosh, I, well, first of all, this deep connection, you know, if we think about our evolution and the pace of how we live, it's only recently that the pace has accelerated to what we live in today, right? In yeah. terms of just uh, invention and technology and all of that. So if you think about the pace of what we evolved in, it is more in the pace of plants, meaning kind of slow growth, the rhythm of the seasons, um, right? So I think that there's something when we care for a plant and when we're there that speaks to this very deep part of us that wants to slow down, to be honest, um, and not even slow down, but just return to the slowness of what it means to be, right? I, That's such a great um, quote. Yeah. <laughs> and just, we're so expected to do and produce and hustle, uh, right? There's so many messages along those lines in the world. Uh, yeah, along those lines out in the world today. And I think plants are this amazing teacher that everything happens in its own time, right? You think about plants, they follow this, the the rhythm of nature, the rhythm of the seasons, and they just take their time to do what they need to do in a steady, beautiful way. And I think when we come to them and watch the beauty, just the beauty of that, we're reminded of our own rhythm, 
I would say our own sort of quieter rhythm um, to explore, to be in the sun, to uh, all of that, to just get away from a screen and to actually connect with what is real before us. Yeah. So that's what I you think. Have, There's a really, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 was, I just want to say you Please. have this beautiful quote on your website and I'm reading so I don't butcher it. And it's, we want to welcome you into slowness and wonder. And I thought that was just beautiful put. Um, and and so, so yeah, that's it. So uh, just, just for the, the, the person, the audience listening, can you elaborate a little bit on what specifically does Green Elbow do? So you have yes, a couple of services. Can you talk about them? Absolutely. So the big focus for this year is the community garden. So COVID, actually, I think there's a whole um, conversation and exploration going on about what did COVID take from us this year and what did it bring to us, right? I think that's been a question that a lot of people ask, and I think it is a good question to reflect on because it's been such a different year. And so for me, what did it bring? Well, it brought a garden. And basically, I was able to start a vegetable garden in April. And it was the first one that I ever started. And I called my sister and father for a conference call before I started it to get their advice. And they both started the call. And one of them said, um, well, you know, it's really hard doing a garden. And they both just sort of paused. And I was like, I know, I know. That's why I'm asking you. And then they both just started laughing. They were like, no, it's not hard at all. It's totally easy. It's going to be fine. Like, don't be nervous about it, right? And, and so, um, and it was this lovely connection point that we had. And they're absolutely right. When I think about gardening, yes, there's work that we need to do. But 99% of the work that makes a garden, it comes from the soil, the sun, water, and the plant itself, right? Yeah. That's, actually, that's actually what's doing the work. So, and that's really what I discovered and seeing, and it was just such a, like, I would go to the garden and spend hours there, um, just watching the plants grow, supporting them, maybe putting dirt around the stem so that it wouldn't blow, uh, staking them, all these different things. And just being close to them, I found so much satisfaction. And then I had a lot of extra from my growth. And so I would bring it into my co-working space. And the people who were there would say, gosh, I would really love to have a garden as well because Erisaira is quite a built environment, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, all pavement and apartments. So nobody really has green space in their house, uh, near their house. And I was talking to a friend about just this idea of my garden and how much I would love to bring gardening to other people. And he was from Germany and talked about this program in Germany where he had joined and they basically provided everything that he needed, water, seeds, materials, and a space to grow. So I just got to thinking and long story short, I uh, am now renting a plot of land about, you know, in the next town over and having and hosting a community garden next year but it's more than a community garden it's a guided program so it's taking you by the hand and basically saying this is not as scary as you think it is and let's let's go hand hand in hand let's plant let's plan together our plots let's plant together and let's let's grow together basically and so that's really i would say the main focus of 2021 for green elbows is bringing in a community there will be about 20 plots there so bringing in you know 20 different people who are going to work and have these small parcels of land to grow their own food to learn together and to experiment with different growing techniques so that's what i'm really really excited about um, and then the yeah. other service that i offer is plant design so this is where you learned about through regves is basically figuring out what is the actual design aesthetic of a space and then what, what do they want plants to serve, right? Meaning, do you want plants for just their look? Do you want them to purify the air? Do you want to, this would be more for a patio, but do you want to grow like herbs and food on them? You know, what do you actually want plants to serve? So you have the aesthetic, the service, and then um, just sort of the care, the how much care can you give or how much do you know about plants? So I take all of that information and put it into a plan for them. So this is uh, the recommendation is this is the these are the types of plants that you should get and this is how you should place them these are the containers that you should buy because they match your design aesthetic so it's basically figuring out what is already existing 
who is already in the space, right? In terms of who's going to care for it and what do they need from the plants? And then proposing a design that integrates into those different aspects. No, and I, I've done that now for several places, several friends uh, and, and some clients as well. And yeah, I love that so, process of so I, design. I, I need to ask you this because that, this is yeah. what blew my mind, which is, <laughs> uh, I, I know that you graduated, uh, you graduated, no, but you studied uh, landscape design. And so I understand that it, you use probably some of those elements to do that work with plant design, but how did you come up with that idea? Because that, that, I mean, it's simple, it's beautiful, and it's obvious because a plant always gives this nice touch to a, to a room, but I would never, ever, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to think like, well, I should create something where I help people to understand the right plant into the right place. So how did you come up with that idea, if I may ask? <laughs> you certainly can ask. This goes back to when I was having my own discovery of plants and falling in love with them again, which honestly was only about five years ago, going back to your original question, you know, yeah. when do you need to know, when do you need to have it figured out what you want to do? Well, I'm now in a career track that's totally, that I've just started exploring five years ago, you know, and now I'm launching a whole business based around it. So back, um, I was in New York, I had just started my own patio garden, and I was at a birthday party, and there was a girl who had a patio, and she said, oh, I really want to get started, but I don't know what plants to choose, so honestly, I just went, and I, she actually, she sent me pictures of her space, and then I looked online for some inspiration, like, how could she set this up, um, we talked about what colors she wanted to use, for example, and basically, I sent her some photos to say, you know, this is what I would think in terms of inspiration. It was kind of a mood board. And then I said, okay, in terms of the color, she wanted mostly green. I would, I would recommend like these five plants and, and you could, you know, train some of the plants to go up this fence that you have. Basically, I, I don't need to get into the details, but it was just, it was a very organic process of thinking about what she wanted in the space, what I knew of plants to that point using inspiration from elsewhere i think it's fine to do that right we're all yeah. i think as creative people we're always borrowers um sorry i would just that's something that i would add and you combine all of that to create the space and the before and after was so fun to see and then i showed a couple of friends another friend wanted help and so i just started to refine my process and that's when i designed this little quiz actually that's called what is your design aesthetic and so someone takes it, it's kind of like a BuzzFeed quiz, right? When it's like, what, uh, I don't know, what Game of Thrones character are yeah. you? <laughs> you answer these questions and then you find out. And so there's a whole bunch of questions that you can figure out your design aesthetic. And once I know that, and then we have a conversation about the things that I mentioned before, how you'll use the plants and such. And then I just think I've always had this love of like design and spaces, um, and then when you get to it, and then when I get to incorporate plants in it, all the better. And so honestly, it was just like, it organically grew and it was, I, people would just ask for it, would just ask yeah. for my help. And with each new person that asked for it, I refined my process in terms of getting all of the information that I needed from them, figure, and then I also, and, and, fig, and also refined it in terms of putting together a whole set of mood boards, like a whole set of pictures of like, okay, in this corner, you can create a little dining room. Here's five images of what that might look like. Uh, right. And just got, and then I started to design, this is actually where landscape architecture came in from 20 years before 15 years, I guess at that point is um, was like those bird's eye view plans. Right. So if you think about an architectural plan, when you yeah. look at it from above, you see the layout of where everything goes. And so I used some of that very early training to um, actually do the layouts to explain to people, this is where you should actually position the plants and this is yeah. why. So let me ask yeah. you one more question, which is, uh, uh, and I, I don't even know if that's possible, but I was listening to you and, and that, that this question just came to mind, which is, do you have any way to measure the impact that the plant has uh, on a space because I, I I'll try to clarify. I, I remember that I, I once went to a, a birthday party and uh, my my friend she offered everyone a small cactus. I'm 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 a, one of those brown plants, all right. Everything that I <laughs> everything that I touch, it's it's not. It'll that take good. you as you are. But yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> she she offered uh, this small uh, cactus to everyone, and and I remember that 
I, I brought him home and I put it over on my desk. And I noticed this change in my mood when I was going to work, mm. you know? And I, and I was really good. And, and, and I, in that week, I remember perfectly that when I, when in that week, I was reviewing my week and I was, I was just noticing that my, I had my mood uh, elevated. And I was asking myself, well, what changed? I mean, the work was the same, the things were the same. And I realized that it was a small plant right over, over there. So I was, I was wondering, is there any way, or have you thought about this, um, trying to try to measure the impact that uh, uh, the flower, the plant has, in terms of what the, the original goal was? Is there any way you can do that? No. Wow. Your question is beautiful. And I know we're on a podcast, so people can't see that I was smiling the whole time that you were <laughs> asking the question and, and sharing this. Uh, but I was because, I mean, what you described is the effect of plants. So um, I love that, first of all, that you noticed it. That's amazing. And I think that that happens for a lot of people. In terms of studying the impact, gosh, it definitely has been studied. Um, I have listened to a lot of podcasts where it's mentioned and I've heard different percentages in terms of plants boosting creativity, productivity, calm. Um, you know, there's actually a really great study where they put, I, I hope that I'm getting this right, but I think they put heart monitors on city dwellers. So basically imagine you're in New York City, you get this heart monitor. And what they did is that they monitored how your heart rate changed in different parts of the city. And so as you walk through the neighborhoods, maybe it went down. As you walked through Times Square, maybe it went up. And what they noticed is that when you went into parks, into green spaces, so imagine Central Park, right, this beautiful space, the heart rate dropped, right, in a good way, in a, in a calm way, um, to just be steadier, like going back to what I was saying before, this slower, more natural rhythm. And so there's, there's been a lot of studies that basically say being in green spaces calms us, nourishes our creativity, um, and really just sort of centers us, right? And that, that is definitely enhanced when you go into a green space, but I think they've also shown that even seeing pictures of green spaces can actually also help. So I personally have not studied it. I think it would be a great, great study. Um, I think more than anything, I've just experienced it, yeah. experienced it for myself, hearing stories like the one you've just shared and, and also so many stories that have come in over the years. Um, especially since I launched Green Elbows, actually, there was a friend who just sent a picture of a little flowering plant that she has by a window. And she says, this brings me such joy every December when it flowers. So I just wanted to share it with you. Right. And so it's more anecdotal that I've heard. But definitely there are scientific experiments that show how much being with plants enhances our health. Yeah, perfect. And our well-being. So, yeah. yeah. Rebecca, I just have two more questions. Uh, and the okay. first one is to everyone that um, hears this podcast and thinks, okay, I, I want to get in touch with plants, but I don't have a, a garden and my community garden ain't possible. And I live in an apartment in the middle of Lisbon. Let's say this person is me. All right, let's just imagine. <laughs> What's one first step that I can do uh, to, to start connecting with nature and with plants? It's such a good question. I would recommend that you buy one plant and a very easy one. So I'll give you just one suggestion, which is a pothos, P-O-T-H-O-S. That's the word in English, at least. And it is like indestructo plant, <laughs> meaning uh, it, it, has, it can survive all different kinds of light, all different kinds of watering, and it grows like crazy and it looks beautiful. It's this beautiful sort of viney plant that um, it can either grow, actually it can either grow up something, right? If you give it a pole to climb, it will climb, or it can actually hang down. And I think those plants are beautiful because you'll just, it, basically it's a plant that just allows you to see new leaf growth, um, when it starts to get really big and you pull it out of the pot, you're going to see the roots, the root structure and maybe move it into a bigger pot at some point. But it's basically, I would say, just start with one plant. All right. Make it an easy one so that you don't, that you don't reinforce the 
the, I call it an untruth because I don't think it's true, but don't reinforce this idea that you have a brown thumb, right? Yeah. Um, this plant will, it loves all, I, it's like a, it's like the dog of the plant world, right? It loves everyone. <laughs> um, anyway, I love this plant. And so I would just start with a really easy plant to care for and start to just sort of be with it and see its growth. And, um, and then if, and then just see if you want to add another one. Or just think, you know, in terms of integrating in, into your life, I think the, the other biggest thing is you don't have to give your life over to this, right? Like you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to create a jungle in your, in your living room. Um, you don't have to, you know, become the master gardener at uh, Estrella Park or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it can just be the incorporation where, like you said, you saw this little cactus on your desk and it brought you happiness. And I promise you that if you get this plant, like a new little leaf as it uncurls will bring you happiness, right? And just that small connection to the plant world, I think can open you up to know, maybe you notice like wildflowers that are in the, you know, some small pavements along Lisbon, you know, in Lisbon when you're going on a walk yeah. in the spring, or I think it will just kind of open your eyes to the green world a bit more. Yeah. So I would say one really easy, gentle step. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Rebecca, before I ask you the last question, um, if yeah. people want to find out a little bit more about you and about Green Elbows, uh, we'll put the links to the website below. But if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do it? Perfect. It would be Instagram, actually. I'm on there a lot. And more and more, I'm creating content to help, you, help uh, followers figure out plant care, plant propagation, um, that type of thing. And so it's just green dot elbows yeah we'll leave all the links on the descriptions and so let me just ask you uh the last question which is the question that i ask every um guest which is what drives you oh such a good question okay what drives me honestly it is a love of humans we've been talking a lot about a love of plants and a love of the green world but it's actually a love of people and yeah that is yeah. what drives me perfect yeah, there you go <laughs> i'll leave Rebecca, it at that <laughs> i just want to thank you once again so much uh, it was a delightful conversation to everyone listening you know you can find rebecca on the links that we'll leave in the description the description as well as follow the podcast on any platform that you use so we'll see you next episode Thank you.